It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Welcome once again. It is time for another installment of J.C. and Morgan. J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. Mike Morgan, ESPN, SEC Network. We have had uh, an incredible litany of guests here. You know, we started off with some announcers and sideline reporters, and now we've dipped into almost almost on accident. I'd love to take credit for this. Like, this was a grand plan I had, you know, months ago, but just happened to, to know and, and work with some really talented people that also – we're really talented quarterbacks. So we had Tim Couch. We had Greg McElroy last week. We'll have Ryan Leaf next week. And a guy that I've gotten to know uh, quite a bit over time is joining us this week. Two-time SEC Player of the Year. So Couch did it once. Matthews did it twice. McElroy won a natty. And Leaf was a Heisman finalist. So a lot of accolades here. But uh, I would say also in the case of Shane Matthews, a, a guy who was part of one of the most revolutionary offensive changes in college football if you go back and you watch those early 90s Steve Spurrier teams um, the first few of which Shea Matthews was the quarterback starter in 90 91 92 uh, all SEC and and all three of those seasons and you can also catch him on the pod up podcast Monday through Friday uh, he's the radio analyst for the Florida Gators but he still remains objective um, and <laughs> Oh, by the way, he just coached XFL. He was just the quarterback's coach for the Orlando Guardians. So he's been busy. Shane Matthews, kind enough to join us. Shane, how are you, man? I'm doing well, guys. Appreciate y'all having me on. The difference between all those other quarterbacks that you, you've had on, uh, they got drafted. I didn't even, I'm still <laughs> waiting on the phone to ring. That's right. And when you, let's see, it's, it's seven rounds now. Was it 12 when you came out? You know, I, I, I should know that. I think uh, it was. Yeah, and I still I'm still nobody called. Still um, nobody but I called. Lasted a long time somehow. Oh so. now, now you did you did two stints with the Bears. I live outside of Chicago. I've I've been learning all about the Bears lately. So uh bless you for living up here for that. <laughs> well, I I only lived in my football cities for the four and a half to five months and then I came yeah. straight back to Gainesville as soon as the last <laughs> game was over. <laughs> I feel that. I feel I that. don't I don't blame you. Now we We've had some fun with some of the other guys um, with, you know, the kind of the recruiting, which JC covered on a national basis for, for 15 years. But we were talking before we went on the air, when you were coming out of high school in the state of Mississippi, it wasn't, we didn't have all this star system. The only thing I could get my hands on as a, as a, a teenager that age that, that started getting into recruiting a little bit, you had these, uh, the Tom Lemmings of the world, Max M. Finger, and they would have like publications. It wasn't nearly as organized. Obviously, we didn't have the internet. Um, but you were saying you you didn't have any stars, or I mean, you were completely. You can't say you were completely under the radar. You were recruited by LSU in Florida, but you you were not the highly touted recruit as some of the other guys we've been talking about. Well, I, I don't know because. You know, you still had fax machines and right. people were getting stuff in the mail all the time. Back then, I, you know, I I got recruited by everybody pretty much in the southeast, except Alabama. 
and I, and my dad played at Ole Miss uh, under Johnny Vault. Archie was oh, his wow. quarterback his last two years, and so I, I I went to Ole Miss games my entire life. My mom was a cheerleader there. It was mm-hmm. kind of a foregone conclusion that I was going to go be a Ole Miss Rebel, but um, I narrowed my choices and took my visits to Florida, Florida State, LSU, and Texas A&M because Jackie Sherrill was a Mississippi guy, was the head coach at that time. And um, I narrowed it down to Florida and, and LSU. I wanted to play in the SEC. And, of course, LSU was feeding me all the BS that I'd be there next, Tommy Hodson. And <laughs> I don't know why I chose Florida. Uh, you know, I was I was six two and a half, six three, one sixty five when I got mm. on campus. When I left campus five years later, I was only I was six three one eighty when I went to the combine. So I was a very small guy, but uh, I was I, I don't know what kind of star I would be. I was a three sport athlete at a, at a really good high school, a lot of good players. So who knows what what kind of stars I would have been today? Well, so, you say, oh, well, sorry, gonna, yeah, just I'll just follow up on that, JC, and then we'll we'll, we'll stay with sure. this recruiting front a second. You say you didn't know why you why you chose Florida and people have to really go back in time to remember. And I always try, I have to remind myself, I mean, JC and I are in our forties. There's a lot of people that listen to this podcast across the country that might be 22. And so I just, I have to remind myself that everybody remembers the timeline. When you came to Florida, it's not the Florida that people later became uh, familiar with winning SEC championships and winning national titles. They didn't win anything. For like a hundred no. years, and so, and and Spurrier hadn't become a thing yet, and I mean, heck, they were playing on turf. Like, they, what was it that took you over the top to go to Gainesville? Well, you know, my 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 dad was my high school coach, and my mom was a teacher at the school, so they went on all my visits with me, and then we'd come home and make a little list of pros and cons. And obviously, my mom loved the University of Florida from an academic standpoint, um, and so that kind of sold me on it, and I love. You know, living in Florida, I mean, you can't go wrong. You know, Coach Burr always told his recruits, people save up their entire lives to move to the state of Florida when they retire. Well, hell, you can come be a Gator at 17 and live in the state of Florida. <laughs> so um, Spurrier wasn't the head coach. It was Galen Hall. And yeah, uh, like I said, if they would have had the transfer portal back in my day, I, after my first two years of not – I mean, literally doing nothing at practice – I was begging my mom and dad to let me transfer to Ole Miss because I knew I could play there right away. But there, we had a rule in our family: once you start something, you will finish it. And you're, they say you're going to graduate from the University of Florida. And thank God, some dude named Steve Spurrier that I'd never heard of got the job and gave everybody an opportunity to show what they could do. Yeah, the story, Shane. I was going to ask you about that. I was like, yeah, that you didn't necessarily, yeah, you didn't commit to Coach Spurrier. You committed to Galen Hall, and they were Emmett Smith. Well, student body left, student body right type of offense. Mm-hmm. And, and so the story goes, uh, I think, uh, to because to, I, I read Spurrier's book um, recently on an airplane. I, I like to read it over and over again. And uh, your fifth string coming into spring practice. But it, he said, well, I like to I like to give everybody a chance. And uh, sure enough, you were the fit to, for that offense. Uh, what kind of a relief was it? Uh, to get out there and uh, and play in that system, which at the time was uh, cutting edge, and 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 just kind of uh, get a new uh, breath of fresh air with your football career. Well, it depended on which day of the week. If I was fifth fifth string or sixth string, it just you know varied. <laughs> but um, 
during that spring practice, a couple guys got banged up, didn't play well, and I always got sent down to the tight ends to throw every practice. John Reeves, who was an All-American quarterback at Florida, uh, coached the tight ends. So he kind of took me under his wing, and he kept – he was in Coach Spurrier's ear the whole time. You need to give this kid a shot. And uh, being a coach's son, I just picked up his terminology, just how he thought – um, I was always an accurate thrower, didn't have a very good arm, but could anticipate. And, and as I said, I was very accurate. So uh, it put me in a couple of scrimmages. I played real well. Then we had the um, orange and blue game in Spurrier's first year in 1990 over in Jacksonville at the Gator Bowl. Because as Mike said, they were tearing up the turf and putting in natural grass. <laughs> I threw three touchdowns. The other guys stunk it up. And then uh, the rest was kind of history from that point on. What <laughs> – did any of the other guys go on to any success anywhere? Well, my class, this is what's crazy. I signed, I was the player of the year in Mississippi, quarterback from Colorado, a kid named Jerry Dunn, signed. Scott Hoffman, a quarterback from Illinois, and Lex Smith, a quarterback from the state of Florida. Can you imagine a, 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 a signing a class having four quarterbacks in today's world? It right. would never happen. No. So Lex ended up turning into defensive lineman. Uh, Jerry Dunn went back to Colorado State. Uh, Hoffman transferred to Purdue. And uh, Kyle Morris, who was one of my roommates, uh, I beat him out. He ended up transferring back to Mississippi and going uh, playing ball at Mississippi College. So, um, you know, I, Coach Spurrier, like I said, I was his only quarterback that he never benched. But maybe he never benched me because he didn't have anybody else to put in. Yeah, it's not like you didn't have Danny Werfel second string or so, you know, Rex Well, Grossman Danny, Danny was a true freshman my senior year. I helped recruit Danny to become a Gator. Uh-huh. But I guess they, they didn't want to waste his red shirt year and stick him in the game. Yeah, right. And, and of course, you, I mean, you played what, 15 years in the NFL? Um, Four, 14 somehow. 14, okay. 14. And, and, you know, you, you say it, um, I, I mean, somewhat flippantly your arm was certainly strong enough. I mean, I watched you make enough deep ball throws right on the money to know it. You might not have had a howitzer, but uh, nobody would say your arm was, uh, was too weak to get the job done. That's for sure. And, and Danny was another guy who had a weird kind of hitch in his delivery, almost threw it like a dart. Um, and, and yes, he did play a few years in the NFL, but, but really, Steve Spurrier, during his 12 years in Gainesville, did not have a bunch of just bona fide, fit the bill, look the part of an NFL stud. That wasn't what made you guys so good. It was, uh, again, the the ability to grasp an offense, to read a defense, and to be remarkably accurate. And And that's what you did for your three years as a starter, and Danny did after that, and so many others did after that. It, it just goes to show you, as, as I watched the – I was infatuated with this last NFL draft, and we're going to get your thoughts on that, including a quarterback you covered, Anthony Richardson. You don't have to have the strongest arm to be the best guy for the job, and that was on full display for the, for many of those years in Gainesville. Yeah, you know, not all of us are blessed with, you know, great arms. you got to make up for it in other areas. And I, I was blessed because I had the mind. I understood what Coach Spurrier was trying to do. Uh, from a schematic standpoint, but the accuracy and anticipation are things that in my, my mind, you cannot be taught. It's stuff that you're just God given. Uh, God gives you those abilities. And uh, I was lucky enough to have them. 
And uh, as you said, Coach Spurrier never really had the big-time quarterback. Now, obviously, Rex, his last quarterback, was a first-rounder. Uh, boy, he could throw the football extremely well. But it, it was precision, timing. Uh, you know, we caught people off guard a little bit just because, you know, we were not scared to throw the ball down the field. You know, so many coaches nowadays, uh, you know, if it's third and one, they're going to hand it off. Well, we would we would get a mismatch and and take a shot because if you take four or five shots and you hit a couple of them, those are big plays. But yeah, I would I wish I would have had a if I would have been six four two forty five with a the, the arm strength's not that big a deal, uh, but just th- that big uh, shoot, I might still be playing like. <laughs> well. Again, 15 years is going to be longer than about 99% of the people that play that position or 14 years. Uh, so I, I, I think overall you, you did okay in the, uh, in the DNA department, that's for sure. I, I'll just one more question on, on kind of a memory lane, if you will. Again, this is for the 20-something-year-olds. If you're of a certain age and you were an SEC fan, you, you know. I don't have to tell you. But – what you guys did, and and again, this all goes back to Spurrier, who I think if there's a Mount Rushmore of college football coaches, he's on it. Doesn't matter where you put him. As the way college football was played, it totally radically changed the way SEC football was played. I mean, with few exceptions, like a Tommy Hudson and LSU when they were doing what they did, it was a three yards in a cloud of dust league. It was it was a you run and you stop the run and that's how you win championships in this league, and those first couple of years when you were you guys were doing what you were doing, it's as if every defensive coordinator had no answers. They really they were like, I don't know what this is, and I don't know what to do with it. Now eventually people catch up, and eventually uh, defensive coordinators. It's not like they completely shut it down, but they cracked the code a little, and now more offenses look like a lot of ways of what you guys did. 30 years ago or, or so, but uh, just describe how it, how it felt to be part of something where you knew like we're doing something nobody else in college football is doing right now. The the cool part about it was obviously Spurrier's first game against Oklahoma state in 1990 uh, people, a lot of the Gator boosters had given him a lot of crap for naming me a, a, the starter, a guy who'd never taken a snap. <laughs> well, we scored we, we took the opening kickoff and scored in five plays. It was three passes and two two runs. And, I mean, it didn't even take two minutes. And I, I think from that point on, people were like, holy crap, what is this? The forward pass is now at the University of Florida. And, and that was the game. And it was so much fun to play for him. You know, he you either love Spur or you hate him. You know, most of the people in the SEC hated him. But if you get to know him, he's a good dude. But he coaches with a swagger. And his players, we played with that swagger. You know, not not the crazy stuff that you remember of the Miami Hurricanes back in the day, but we we love knowing. And he let us know about this, too, leading up to a game, going on the road. We're going to try to score as many points as we can. And there was no better feeling than in the middle of the third quarter when the stands are emptying. Hmm you know, in another team's ballpark. And we took pride in that. And uh, I think that's the one thing that kind of got us going is just knowing that we were getting ready to be a dominant football program because Bear Bryant, they say back in the day, Bear Bryant always said, Florida's a sleeping giant. 
be careful if they ever hire the right guy. Well, they hired the right guy in 1990. Unfortunately, he left. And who knows what could have happened if he would have stayed. Yeah, I, well, that's the other thing I was going to ask you is when he takes a South Carolina job, how did that make you feel? And then when he's having the success, I mean, they had the best run in school history there. Are you are you feeling good about are you all of a sudden you're pulling for the Gamecocks now because of your relationship with Steve? Well, I did. You know, he, he I got to play for him one year in the pros with the Redskins his first year. Um, we kind of butted heads there a little bit. And then I went with Marvin Lewis, uh, who was the defense coordinator to the Bengals. But when coach got hired at South Carolina, I thought it was very odd at first. But I'll never forget, I was sitting in a buddy's skybox when the Gamecocks rolled into Gainesville. I want to say they played there the first year. I sat up in that box and called every offensive play before it happened. He had the same exact signals that he had when I played for him. And these people sitting in the skybox are like, how do you know these plays are coming? I'm like, it's the same signals we've had 15, 20 years ago. Um, so did I root for them? Absolutely. I did not when they played the Gators, I wanted my school to win. Right. Um, but every other time I was pulling for the Gamecocks. And then when he's, when he's winning 11 games a year, when he's beating Clemson five years in a row, when he's upsetting teams like Florida, like Tennessee, like Georgia, I mean, are you just saying, yeah, I knew it. He, he, the guy was going to do it no matter where he went. Yeah, and a lot of people that don't follow the Gators, or even if they do, they kind of overlook. They had the Gators beat in, in uh, was it 06 when Florida won the national title? So the block Meyer. kicks, right? Yeah. Block kick. Well, they, they, they threw a slant down to about the two-yard line that would have sealed the game, but there was like an illegal formation or the left tackle flinched, mm. gets called back. And then they don't convert or whatever, and then they get the field goal blocked. So Jarvis Moss was that that the guy? That, that right there. They had they had the Gators beat in that game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they uh, the the drive it was seventeen sixteen, and and Gamecocks couldn't they couldn't stop Tebow and and Leak on the Gamecocks, but the Gamecocks went down and scored and went up sixteen ten and missed the extra point, which was crazy. Uh, Vern Lundquist and uh, Gary Danielson were on that call. I remember watching it. Gary Danielson said that was one of the best called drives he's ever seen. And so I'm assuming you were sitting up there calling all those plays, Shane. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, because uh, it was, it was, and, 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 and I'll ask you this on that note. All right. So, you know, people can, people can see his playbook. They know his plays. A lot of the concepts are still used today, but when he's dialed in as a play caller, uh, is that the magic that made it go, in yeah. your opinion? Yeah, there, there's no question. Because I, I tell people all the time, Nick Saban, Bill Parcells, Sean Payton, Steve Spurt, they all have the same plays. It's not like somebody has some secret plays mm -hmm. that nobody else has. It's how you coach them, and the biggest thing is when you call them. Yeah. And, boy, he, made a, he had a knack for knowing when to call at, at the right time. And, uh, and he wasn't scared to call. So many head coaches or offense coordinators are worried, you know, what if, you know, trick plays, you know, the, the double reverse, the double passes, all those type of things. We didn't call those trick plays or special plays or however people have them on their call list. They were just regular plays because we practiced them every single day. As soon as stretch was over, you go run six to ten plays 
of nothing but reverses, double passes, and things like that. So they're they're second nature to everyone. But he knew exactly when to call those. That's such a great point. I, I think about it like it's not like stealing somebody's barbecue sauce, right? Like I can steal your barbecue sauce recipe and I can bring it home to my house and I'm I'm putting it, you know, on the meat. Like it, it's the same sauce. You, you you didn't do anything special. There's I stole your ingredients. I got your recipe. I can now make it. You can take uh, the NFL version of this to me is Andy Reid. I think Andy Reid is the best in-game play caller adjustment guy in the NFL. So whether it's Eric Bieniemy or anybody else, you're going to steal some of those plays, right? You're going to take them with you in your new job. But guess what? You're not going to have the same acumen in all likelihood as one of the best guys to ever do it in Andy Reid. And same thing with people have been running Spurrier plays for the longest time, but do they know when to run certain plays, what adjustments to make at halftime? I think he's one of the best to ever do it, and I, I think there's very few that can do it that well. Um, yeah, and and what's what's great, crazy about it too is he did it from field level, right? You know, that's how right. he could see the game unfold down there because it's hard. I've done it from both, and I'd much rather be in the box. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, and I remember calling that game. We did it. We, this is back when CSS did and the Sunshine Network and all that. We all uh, were kind of. Um, you know, it's a conglomerate, really, the regional, the RSNs, regional sports networks. And we would record before the SEC network. So we would if there if nobody picked up the game, we would do it on pay-per-view, which fans would always be pissed because I just had to pay $30 to see whatever. And the production value typically wasn't what you'd find out on the ESPN or Fox or CBS. But then we did it for if it wasn't if it was picked up. And that one, is, as you guys mentioned, was a CBS game, right? Mm-hmm. With Vern. We would do it for the replays. So you would watch the game on replay. So we're in the auxiliary booth, and I'm calling the game. And as I'm watching, it started off with all these Gator fans were so happy to see Steve back, even though it was on the other sideline. It was kind of this is going to be cute. We get to we get to look at Steve. Then we're going to kick his rear end, and then everything. Is, and then all of a sudden, it started sinking in in the fourth quarter. We might lose this damn game. This is not <laughs> a cute story anymore. You could feel the anxiety of ninety thousand fans in the swamp, like. This guy is going to do it to us. I I can't believe it. Uh, and it's if you know for the first few years the story was kind of it was overdone. Like Steve's coaching against his alma mater, but uh, it, those were classic matchups and the ability to go. Because some people said, well, you know, it's Florida, like you said, Bear Bryant sets a sleeping giant. But when he went to South Carolina and did what he did there, that was like yeah. I think that just added to his legacy. Like I, I can beat yours with, with yours. I can beat you with mine. It doesn't matter. I'm going to out coach the guy on the other side. Yeah. He's, he was, he's tremendous. And like you said, I, I never thought he'd have that kind of success there. And, you know, they won games and boy, they started getting some really good players with Lattimore and uh, that whole crew, Jadavion Clowney and Stefan Gilmore. Boy, he had some good players come through there. What, what is the, this might be a tough one to answer because uh, you weren't in the booth at that time. But when Urban Meyer, when you look back at the Urban Meyer era, okay, you, you, you can't take – it's a good and bad situation. You can't exclude one or the other. He won two national titles. <laughs> For a while there, they were the preeminent program in college football. There's also a lot of negatives that surrounded the program at that time, and he left on a less than a good note as well in, in multiple ways. So how do the, that is your typical fan there when Urban Meyer comes up on your show? Is it like a like somebody just ate a, a sour apple or like what what is the reaction? 
it's a little bit of mixed reaction. Uh, you know, there's still all that talk about he he's the only guy that's eligible right now to go in the ring of honor in all of Florida football. Nobody else has the uh, credibility or the accolades or whatever the criteria is to get there. It's only him. And I don't think a lot of the fans want him in, uh, even <laughs> though he got his two national titles. Tremendous football coach. Uh, I think the the way he could recruit and evaluate players, one of the best of all time. I mean, if you think about the players that he brought to the University of Florida that ended up playing a long time in the National Football League, and then what he did at, at Ohio State as well. Uh, the guy's a great football coach, but – a lot, I'd say majority of the Gator fans have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to him. It's, it's I feel that too when I'm there. Uh, and it's incredible because what other fan base would not have anything but the the best love for a two-time national championship coach, but this is a unique circumstance. He's not your typical – he didn't leave your typical legacy. Right. You know, that's, that's what makes it such a uh, polarizing – situation he's certainly a polarizing guy even to this day talking with Shane Matthews Shane um I caught you on your show today and and I've, I've been on it before and love the, the job that you do and what I've what I've respect about you even as a guy who's in the booth you know there's a lot of analysts for particular universities out there and they feel like they got to sugarcoat everything you don't play that game you told me last year Anthony Richardson was not going to be a great college quarterback. I don't care how high he was drafted. He wasn't. He wasn't very good last year. You know, I mean, they were 6-7 and seven for a lot of reasons, but he was one of the least accurate quarterbacks uh, on the team, excuse me, in the country, and it that was detrimental at times. But I caught you today saying Florida will win at least eight games. So tell me, what is it? <laughs> what, what am I missing? Because it's Graham Mertz, a quarterback who wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire at Wisconsin. Uh, certainly have some deficiencies. They haven't plugged all those holes in one year under Billy. And Billy's, I think, I think Gator fans are still kind of a wait and see attitude on him. So what? Why are you optimistic this year about Florida football? Well, I think I've said this the last. Oh, three or four years, we've been not SEC caliber on the front seven defensively. I think we're going to be better there this year. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be better on the back end. You think, let's be honest. We can't get any worse defensively. <laughs> Offensively, I think we'll be a more consistent offense. You may not have a lot of splash plays. Uh, you, I, I think Graham Mertz, I've talked to a lot of college coaches, not at Florida, but that we're going to recruit him out of high school and that have seen him on tape. They like him a lot. Did he tear it up at Wisconsin? No, nobody's ever torn up anything at the quarterback position coming out of Wisconsin. <laughs> Russell Wilson had a decent year, but I don't even count him because right. he played one year. I think he's going to be extremely accurate. He's going to be able to move the offense. It may not be explosive, but I think it's going to be more consistent. And there's two there's two games on our on our – I know everybody talks about how tough our schedule is. I don't see that. I'm like the only person that doesn't see that, but I don't care. Because is Utah a good team? Absolutely. They've won the Pac-12 back-to-back years. But are they beatable? Yeah, I don't even know if Cam Rising's going to play coming off an ACL. So will that help the Gators? Possibly. Um, but but going to Baton Rouge, I don't think we can win, and I don't think we can beat Georgia. But everybody else, I, I watched Florida State last year, and, and kudos to them. They won nine or ten, whatever they won. They beat one team with a winning record, 
And I watched the tape going into the game last year, and I'm like, Florida is a better football team than them. And Florida played them toe-to-toe, okay? Jordan Travis just made unbelievable plays for us to lose that game. All the other games, Missouri, Kentucky, Vandy, South Carolina, those are teams we're supposed to beat. I know we haven't beaten them like we're supposed to, but I think we're going to win those games this year. I just think Billy having year two, everybody's going to be on the same page, but I think it's going to be a more consistent football team. May not have a whole lot of wow factor, but I think they're going to win eight games. I really do. We can talk about the questionable coaching hires over the last 10 years or so, but the thing that stands out to me in the descent of Florida football is the, the the talent level. I'm not saying they haven't had good players. There's always going to be a first-round talent on the roster if it's the University of Florida. There's always going to be guys, uh, a couple at least, that are all SEC caliber. But it's not nearly the type of talent that you had under Spurrier and you had under Urban. And what we've seen now is this paradigm shift in the league where Georgia is now what Alabama was, now Alabama's not too far down. Uh, I think LSU is going to be good for a long time under Brian Kelly. And Tennessee seems to be on the rise. South Carolina under Shane Beamer seems to be on the rise. And so I guess my question is, where is Billy Napier in Florida football in terms of increasing the level of talent? Because as we know, I mean, that was the biggest reason why Dan Mullen got got shown the door was recruiting or lack thereof. So what is it going to look like a year from now, two years from now in terms of Florida football talent relevant to the rest of the league? Well, I don't follow recruiting, but supposedly 2024 Florida is like either two or three in America. It's Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and Ohio state. So Obviously, his Billy and his staff are doing something right now. Again, a lot of things can change between now and when these kids are supposed to sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's getting those type of players. As I told you, when I look at the Florida roster the last few years, the biggest difference to me has been the interior guys. That front seven on defense has, has allowed teams to be able to do what they want to do, just pound it between the tackles, and we can't, can't rush the passer. If you can't rush the passer with your front four, you, you have no chance in today's football. So I think they're going to be much improved there. But but you're right. Uh, you, you brought up Tennessee. I think what Josh Heupel's done has been fantastic. However, I think they take a step back this year. Yeah. Hendon Hooker was that good. I'm not a Joe Milton guy. Joe Milton can throw it through a wall. Congratulations. But, buddy, you got to do more than throw it through a wall to play quarterback. And he may turn out to be great. I don't see it. Mm-hmm. Um I think Ole Miss is going to be okay, but they're not going to stop anybody this year. I don't know if they'll win seven games, but they're on the other side. But Georgia, uh, South Carolina, you know, we we clobbered them, Mike, here in the swamp. I mean, just dismantled them. And then they went on this run and beat Clemson and won these won the – I think they got called the Gator Bowl on uh, radio, on Gino Toretto's radio, touchdown radio. I think mm-hmm. they beat Notre Dame, but I watched them and I go – they don't look like a great football team to me. So I think that's why Florida has to become that That this year we have to get back to at least being the second best team in the East. We're nowhere near Georgia's level. I don't think anybody in America is. Kirby's done a phenomenal job. It's, it's, it's hard to say that as a Gator, but I like Kirby Smart, and I think he's done a phenomenal job. Yeah, just got a commitment from another um, 
<laughs> what the highest rated quarterback, JC? What, what this? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. They got the two, two guy, pretty Riola. good quarterback. Yeah, a kid from California uh, yeah. picked up. Uh, yeah, the picked, kid's uh, dad was a center at Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah, you don't Nebraska see many... thought they had him. Nebraska thought they had him, and he went to Georgia. So yeah, you don't see many uh, old centers kids turn out to be quarterbacks. Right? Quarterbacks. Yeah, he's yeah. got he's, he's got a big arm. He's got to wait his turn. I mean, they're they're pretty loaded there. And you know, one thing I do think when you look at Florida's recruiting chain uh, for twenty twenty four, like you mentioned, they do have a five star guy out of Texas that I like a lot. DJ DJ Langley or something is his Lag, name. Lagway. Lagway. Yeah, uh, he is a guy that. Uh, when you look at Billy's offense, you know, he likes to run the quarterback and things like that and kind of get creative with his guy back there. I I think he's a guy that's a game changer. And I'll tell you this right now, I think he's a lot better than that kid that the NIL thing blew up with. Um, well, that whole know. thing was a mess. And <laughs> I was embarrassed as a former player about all that. Because, mm-hmm. look, I, I'm not I'm not a big NIL guy. I'm all for – Player X getting signing autographs at the local mall, getting a car deal, jersey sales, but flat out saying, Mike Morgan, we'll give you $10 million to come play football for us. Mm. You may never play a damn down for me. Probably won't. I disagree with that. And so the money that was supposedly offered to Jaden Rashada was just flat out embarrassing. I mean, he was going to be making way more than like more than half the starters in the National Football League would make. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. It's, and it's it's going on other places. Yeah, I mean, you, if you believe some of these figures from other guys, we are we are truly a pay for play league right now. That's not even including what the bidding wars for for kids out of the portal, right? I mean, that's yeah, I, that, that's that was sort of egregious though. I was I was kind of stunned at the, those numbers, and I felt really bad for all of Florida, like Gators in general, because that's. That's the one thing I think in all this stuff you want to avoid is something like that mm-hmm. because it's such a hot topic with players and you start getting the rep. Well, they're going to promise you that. I mean, every coach in the country now goes, all oh, the Gators will promise you this, but you're not going to get it. Uh, mm-hmm. That was just a bad look. And I felt bad, but it looks like, it's like it looks like Billy's kind of recovered and uh, shoot recruiting hitting slowing down. So I, I guess that's a good thing. Um, Last question uh, for you, Shane. I, I know we're, we're short on time, but uh, I, I mentioned, a while back about the draft. Uh, I'm, I'm curious your your thoughts on the quarterbacks that went uh, as high as they did and even Will Levis slipping to the second round and, then of course, Hendon Hooker going in a, the third round. You know, it, it, it's all just uh, kind of projecting, and it's an inexact science even for a guy like you that played the position and knows it well. But what's your takeaway of the way it all went down? Well, Bryce Young is a special player. I mean, he's won at every level. Uh, extremely smart, accurate, elite thrower of the football. Of course, his size is a concern. There's no question. He's going to take a pounding in that league because I always tell people there are grown men that are trained killers over there. They're <laughs> trying to hurt the quarterback. Uh, but I think he'll 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 be fine at Carolina. C.J. Stroud's an elite thrower of the football as well. Uh, Anthony, you know, he's a project. He he's he's what I saw and coached against in high school. The best athlete on the field but will it translate to wins? We'll see uh, Shane Steichen, I believe, is the, the head coach there, the Colts, who is taking a lot of credit for what Jalen Hurts did. The difference between Anthony and, J- and Jalen is Jalen grew up in a football family. I mean, his dad coached him in high school. He's been around football his whole life. And he's uh, he's a 
good athlete as well. We'll see what Anthony can do. I'm pulling for him. He's a great kid. It's just, boy, at that level, you have got to be able to throw the football accurate and on time. Um, I'm trying to think. Now, next year's class, they got two dudes that I'd love to have on my team. And I think they, those two would have both been right up there with Bryce Young this year with Caleb Williams and Drake May. Yeah. Uh, if you put Drake May, Caleb Williams, and Bryce Young, that's a tough choice there. Ooh, I, I think Drake may be, Drake May might be better than all of them. I, I had Drake in the spring game, and it, you know, it's spring game you can only tell so much. But there's just certain throws that he makes where you're just like, "Whoa!" I do a lot of college football games. I I don't see that. Like he, he's a he is, and he can run too. He like can run big, better than people think. Yeah. He he led the team in rushing last year. Um, and I haven't seen Caleb up close and personal. Obviously, he he looked good and in his first year as a starter with Southern Cal. But, yeah, those two guys, you may be throwing Penix over there at UW. Um, you got that, – that was my point on the Panthers trading up for Bryce. And I'm like you, I'm a Bryce Young guy. But, man, I don't know if Bryce Young is going to be as good a prospect as the top two guy, two or three guys the following year. So if you're going to give up the ranch, maybe that would have been the, the way to go about it. Anyway, what do I know? Shane, I know you know plenty and uh, always enjoy jumping on your show. I'm glad we finally got you here on the podcast. Uh, for those that don't know, a lot of Gator fans that tune us in, they haven't heard the podcast. How do they uh, listen to it each and every morning? Yeah, it's Monday through Friday. It's live on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spotify, all, any any podcast platform out there, we're on it. It's called Pot Up with Matthews in the Morning. I don't know how any of that stuff works. I just <laughs> turn my computer on. And we do the show. And, of course, you were on it for quite some time last year. Hopefully we can get you back on a weekly basis, Mike. Yeah. Our fans love listening to you. And, I appreciate um, that. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, and you deserve a little time off. I know you just came from the XFL world, which is a story for another podcast. Yes. <laughs> How everything went uh, down with the XFL. It's always interesting in those leagues. Shane, really appreciate it. Appreciate your insight as always. And we'll talk to you. Uh, before too long. Thanks again. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Y'all take care. Thanks again to uh, Shane Matthews for joining us again, staying with our uh, quarterback room this month with Couch and McElroy and Leaf and Matthews. Uh, not to be out outdone, Tom Luganbill. It's not as if I don't think of Tom Luganbill as a quarterback, is that he just does so many other things now. Uh, that's typically when we have him on stuff that we talk about, but Really appreciate the time and perspective on that. We'll continue with the uh, guest parade the rest of uh, of this month and beyond. Uh, before we get into the one of the latest stories, which it, it's, as I've been telling you for a while, and I know some people are probably like, Mike, why are you so obsessed with the Pac-12 TV contract? Because the dominoes that are going to fall with that affect virtually everything. So I'll, I'll explain uh, in, in just a moment. Uh, but first off, want to mention one of our uh, proud sponsors, and we're fortunate to have quite a few these days, and that is Look Cinemas. Look Cinemas, locations across the country, uh, everywhere from uh, their, their newest location, New York City. They're in Tampa, Florida. They're on the West Coast. They're in Texas, and they're right here in Atlanta, or more specifically in Brookhaven. So that's given me a chance to check out just what Look Cinemas are all about and from the fantastic theater seats which you can recline 
just a it's almost like you're going into a museum it's not your typical movie theater everything is just nicer and they've got a menu you can sit back relax order while you're sitting down the food is not made until you order it and we're not just talking popcorn here and and m&ms we're talking signature cocktails we're talking wine we're talking pizza i had a pizza there's one of the best pizzas i had in atlanta so the the food options are terrific not just your typical movie snacks the theaters are outstanding they've got all the latest theaters uh again they do a terrific job and we're so lucky to have them i know here in atlanta and the other cities uh, feel the same way do want to mention they also have six dollar discount tuesday so if you want to go ahead and get a nice deal six dollar discount tuesday uh, also adding food specials as well so check them out your local luke uh excuse me look cinnamon if you're in one of those participating markets and you want to win some more of the movie passes that we give away each and every week on jc and morgan you can tweet me at morgan on air and just uh, use the code look l-o-o-k and we'll send out a pair of tickets to you that's look cinemas all right jc mentioned this story um, and look, I'm tired of talking about it too, but I, I can't, I, I, I know how relevant it is. Like whatever happens with this PAC 12 deal and supposedly it's getting closer and closer. Let's go over the dominoes that are going to fall because right now everybody wants to know what is it going to mean? Um, not everybody, but it, a lot of people in our audience are ACC fans and SCC fans. And it could have an impact on both or it could have no impact. We really don't know, but it, there I guarantee you conversations and contingency plans are already going on. Uh, this week in Amelia Island, they already met uh, administrators from the ACC. They gathered for their own spring meetings, uh, more discussions about the growing revenue gap between the SEC Big Ten versus the ACC, <clears throat> and it is significant. It's not a couple million. It's more than $30 million per school per year. Think about that. I mean, that. It, we are now in a day and age, as we've mentioned many times, where programs, quite frankly, you can you can use whatever euphemism you want, are buying players. And when you've got $30 million more than the team you're going up against, that is a problem as the way Florida State is looking at it and Clemson and North Carolina and others in the ACC. The Pac-12 deal, if and when it gets done here soon – we're going to know if the Big 12, the Big 10, was able to poach anybody from current Pac-12 schools. If the Big 10 poaches a couple of those schools, let's just say Oregon, Washington, well, all of a sudden, an SEC, which looks very cozy with the 16 teams that they have, might decide, okay, now we need to make another move. Well, if they make another move, then that can involve the ACC as the most logical fits well the acc schools can't get out of a grant and rights deal that goes through 2036 oh come on my contracts are made to be broken not ones that have a 120 million dollar buyout in legalese writing as well as every if you did leave and if you were fortunate enough to cut that 120 million dollar check to leave every home game you have from now through 2036 guess where that money's going it's not in your pocket it's going to the ACC. I said this a million times over for people critical of, and remember that this was not Jim Phillips, the current ACC commissioner. This goes back to Swafford. What was 
not good about this deal was also brilliant about this deal. What was not good about this deal is the forecast on revenues. Clearly, they didn't know it was going to be that wide a gap. I would also say supply and demand. Who else was offering the ACC their own network and that kind of money when the the more attractive properties on the board for the television networks at that time, the Big Ten, the ACC, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, The other thing about the whole situation is for the ACC at this time, the, the brilliance of the deal was is that it made it so that while all these schools were bolting and leaving for other conferences, this is an iron. This is as ironclad a deal as there is. It is nearly impossible to leave. If it wasn't, they'd already be gone. Trust me on this. There already would have been movement. But a, you you can't. One hundred twenty million, even in this climate, it's a lot of money. B to to forfeit all your home TV revenues for that many years, thirteen years. That's a lot. And then C, now it's gotten to the point. Where is your landing spot? Because if the Big Ten stays put, the SEC seems like it's going to stay put. So what, is Clemson going to the Big 12? JC, I I, I think there's a whole lot of talk. I'm not going to say there's nothing there because I think we're on the verge of something. But that something could be as minuscule as San Diego State goes to the Pac-12. The Pac-12 signs some type of TV deal that involves a streaming service. The Big 12... Uh, is is then unable to add anything and just stays with their 12, which would be fine. I think the Big 12's done a great job considering losing Oklahoma and Texas next year. And then the SEC and Big 10 stay pat. That is like, that's DEFCON 5, to go back to our war games analogy that we used to do several times on this podcast. DEFCON 2 could be teams start jumping out of the pack, go to the Big 10, go to the Big 12, the pack is fighting for survival on the brink of extinction. The the dominoes that fall from the Big 12 and the Big 10 adding all of a sudden force maybe a little more pressure on the SEC to add. And here is the ACC with an ironclad contract, but with schools now that are essentially threatening. This is what the Florida State Athletic Director and others are now either implying or downright threatening. We want a Texas-Oklahoma Big Big 12 deal of yesteryear. What is that? That means instead of having an equal portion of the pie, we want special treatment because we're bringing in more revenue. So you're going to pay us more of that TV revenue than Wake Forest and Duke and Boston College and so on and so forth. That's a lot, as, as to use a Seinfeld quote, that is one big matzo ball. All these things right now are going on at the same time, and things are quiet. Every day you wake up, you'll turn on the internet. Like oh, Nothing happened. No big deal. Something, JC, I'm convinced, is going to happen within the next 30 days, and it could be pretty pretty significant when it's all said and done. Yeah, and on top of that, you don't necessarily have uh, ESPN – uh, you know, and this is this is publicly available knowledge. You can you can read it. Uh, Bob Iger has been quoted as saying this. Uh, you don't have ESPN just throwing money uh, around right. uh, like they were for a while. Well, they're about uh, to lay off uh, yeah, a lot of people. Belt tightening around Disney in general. So, you know, to me, if you're to me, the Pac-12 has one partner. Uh, that makes sense as ESPN. I also think, and Mike, you're in TV, so correct me. I think ESPN needs the inventory. Um, 
for the West Coast because you lose the Big Ten. That's so much programming. You know, the Big Ten, mm-hmm. 14 schools, all, you know, all up the upper fourth of the country, basically. Uh, there's no Big Ten on ESPN anymore at all. It's Fall Fox, NBC, uh, CBS. So, you know, I think you need the pack. You need the pack twelve because you need the inventory. But I, at the same time, I I don't know what the true value of it is. Um, and boy, the Big Twelve, which by the way, the Big Twelve is like the song that will never die, or the song that never ends. It was a league that was, you know, the, the Big Eight and Southwest Conference, the halves of the Southwest Conference merged. It's a league born out of kind of controversy because Ann Richards made made them take Baylor, blah, 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 you know, and they left Rice and SMU and all the others behind, and people wax philosophical about that. And then there was the unfair nature of the Oklahoma-Texas deal, as you mentioned, and that pissed off A&M, Colorado, Nebraska, whoever else. And so they got out. And if you just said, said, what league is going to collapse? What league is on live support? Multiple times. It's been the Big 12. No question. No question. No question. Well, the Big 12 may end up being one of three conferences left standing. <laughs> I was going to say. I mean, it, 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 you know, because like, like I, I tell you, that league – and it makes all the sense. If I'm Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, I'm like literally like I'm like abandoning the West. I'm, the, I'm, I'm just like okay, now we're, we're you know it makes sense for all of us to be in the Big Twelve because mm-hmm. you know you've got BYU net that over there now, so it extends into the Mountain Time Zone all the way down to Florida. I mean, it is a super conference that if you add those four schools, Mike, I think they I think they got a shot, you know, at, at being good. Um, because they do have some brands that have a chance, but, um, you know, wow. Uh, you're just sitting there wondering, you know, is San Diego state and I guess SMU is the other school they're talking about adding to the PAC 12 to those, do those teams really move the needle? I think SMU is kind of an incubator to get in the Dallas market. Um, I personally would probably add UNLV and Boise state too, if I were them, because, uh, they look like they're going to move their headquarters to Vegas anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a school that that would make sense, but man, I mean, you, there's there's just nobody out there to go get. I don't think they have a move the needle move in them because mm-hmm. I don't think that the, the schools that are willing to jump to the Pac-12, there ain't no needle movers in that group. And the Big now, Twelve headed them off and got their deal before the Pac-12. So that's that was right. like a Texas Tech. Uh, at Oklahoma State, because th- they were talking after Oklahoma t- at Texas, like they're oh Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, go to the Pac-12. Not so fast, my friend. Right, the Big 12's in pretty good shape. They got more for their deal than they That's expected. Right. That's right. And if you think about it, there's a lot of markets in the Big 12. We'll go from Orlando to Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, with West Virginia. You know, you've got you've got Salt Lake City. You know, I mean, I, I just. Uh, Wow, you know, it's just kind of an amazing turn of events. So no, I, I think that league's in great shape. I, I really yeah. do. Um, look, the SEC and the Big Ten, that, that that dominance is not going anywhere in terms of they have some of the best brands. Uh, they have had some of the best success, and they will have the best revenues maybe in our lifetime, JC. I don't know if that's going to change when you and I are at the uh, Shady Pines nursing home playing backgammon and bingo and watching the squirrels 
in complete amazement on how quick they can jump from the grass to the tree. I, I don't think during that time anything's going to change in terms of the SEC and the Big Ten still being uh, the the two powers, major powers in college football. And I never bought into the whole thing of, well, it's going to be the AFC and the NFC, and there's going to be 30 teams in the Big Ten and 30 teams in the SEC, and everything else is just going to fall to like one double A. Like that, that's, I'm not there. Uh, I think there's room for two power conferences, which is what we have, and some pretty doggone good ones, which is what the Big 12 is. And we'll see. And, and the ACC. And the ACC is, is – look, the ACC is a quality league. It's just not the, the SEC. And and unfortunately for the ACC now, unlike the SEC and the Big Ten, you've got teams that want to get out. That's something that if you are Greg Sankey and if you are the new commissioner of the Big Ten, uh, Petiti, who's also got a TV background, you don't have to worry about that. Every time you put your head on the pillow – you know every one of your 16 schools loves where they are and they're not they're not trying to go anywhere they're 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 not whereas you're the ACC commissioner uh you know what why was your wife out till three in the morning last night and uh why <laughs> why does she keep uh liking that uh that male model uh is, is the, the fitness pro <laughs> down the street. Bobby why does he keep liking why does she keep liking his pictures so much and putting heart emojis on it? That's kind of what you got to think about a little bit if you're the ACC, uh, because you've got you got a group of schools that are they're outwardly saying it's not even in like, you know, confidence in a in a smoke filled room. Um it, it is out there in the open, like, no, we think we should get more money than the other guys. So uh, it, look, it's fascinating. We are uh, we are sitting on not Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens took away about you know two hundred miles worth of trees, but but we're sitting on a volcano of some kind, and it's going to have some type of eruption. It's just a matter of how big is that eruption. Or you, if, if you'd rather have a different uh, calamity analogy, uh, we're sitting on an earthquake. Is it going to be you know a, a six on the Richter scale, or is it going to be a one point five? Don't know the the magnitude of it, but it's gonna it's gonna come. Here's my question: How much value would the mag? They call them the Magnificent Seven, right? Uh, in the ACC, mm-hmm. um, if you're Notre Dame, I think that you align yourself with them. In fact, that's kind of what I'm anticipating happening because. Notre Dame's fans aren't happy with their five games a year against the, that the, the the that league. I think they'd much rather go out and schedule more creatively like they used to. They're not making that much money out of it, and there's a ready-made home for their revenue, their other sports uh, in the Big East, obviously. Um, so that's a Notre Dame's not going to join the new league. All right, so I'm talking like the seven peel off. You bring Louisville with you and maybe Pitt. Okay. So that's nine. Maybe you add a, 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 a like a West, maybe West Virginia would join a league like that. Right. I think they would mm-hmm. ditch the Big 12 and come back if it had value. Is there value in a 10 team league with Florida State, Clemson, Miami, Louisville, NC State, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech? Without question. Um, it's like a Big East I, basketball, but but football. But football, I, I tend to think so, and I would. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know what Georgia Tech's going to do. Maybe they could go independent like Bobby Dodd, you know, had that dream that they were going to be independent, and that's why Battle they UConn and Army every year? stupidly left the ACC. But, boy, they're – those guys, they need, a, they need a lifeline from somebody, probably the Big Ten, if the league breaks apart. Well, they're either but, 12th AD in the last five years, it seems like. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's really just – changing anything. We've devoted too much time on this podcast to talking about why Georgia Tech's a disaster right now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. Well, I mean, I'm I, in Atlanta. I would, to me. Let me just say this, Yellow Jacket Nation. We might have two Yellow Jacket fans that listen to this podcast. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I would love to see you become relevant again. You're in my backyard. I'd love to go to Bobby Dodd on a day off and just catch a game. Uh, but no, there's, I, there's, say, I say that with love too. Cause I, I do too. Georgia Tech's always kind tech. of been my second favorite Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech are kind of my like second favorite non ACC team or non ACC sure. teams. Right? Sure. So anyway, so, so what kind of value, or so what kind of value do they have? So it, it may come to this and look, it couldn't happen. And, and I, I'm, a, I'm sad that North Carolina is sort of, you know, getting by with they're they're going with the in crowd, right? It kind of they've always kind of run the league, and they do have a great brand. But you know, well, one of the first things the Maryland Athletics Twitter account said when they left for the Big Ten was when they were teasing, like, no more North Carolina bias. <laughs> so it's kind of a shame they're getting away with with going right. They get to go. They get the ticket to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, but nobody else does after making decisions to the detriment of that league for years. Right. Uh, but anyway, I'm kind of sad they're going, but you know, to well, see wait the AC, you're, you're the saying a- if this happens, yeah, if. for the ACC to dissolve, so I, this is a dissolve scenario. This is okay. a, this is DEFCON. What one, this, is, this would be, this is DEFCON one. This is the hypothetical you're saying, yeah. and, and it's out there. I actually you can vote to dissolve the league and there's no, there yeah, is the no guy asked me. There's, there's no grant of rights. If there's no league. And yes, if you if you dissolve the lid now, those other schools are going to sue you, <laughs> but you could probably settle with them. I, I would think it'd be much it'd be much less messy than Florida State and Clemson going. We're going to pay two hundred forty million dollars to go join the SEC because I don't know that the SEC is all that fired up about. You know, I th- I think the SEC would be interested in Virginia or Virginia Tech and North Carolina. And I think if North Carolina made them take Duke, because they, they don't—they're not going to want them to take State. You know, that's—that's that's a different type of rivalry. Uh, the the SEC would probably hold their nose and take Duke just to get Chapel Hill. But you know, it's going to be a lot smoother if you if you dissolve it and break off and uh, you just sign a whole new you know call it what the East Coast Conference or whatever. Um, ECC. ECC, ECC, you know, and, and go and, you know, you, you, you know, it's a, it's a 10 team league to start. You, you don't, you know, you can stop a championship game and all that. And then, you know, I don't know what the other guys are going to do. Probably call up UConn and met UMass. I, this is maybe, beyond DEFCON one. Maybe go raid the Mac and, and have, or join, oh, they'll all just join the American, maybe Conference USA comes back. <laughs> But uh, I, they'll all join the Sun Belt, and there'll be a 2014 Sun Belt. It'll be the best. This, this uh, is DEFCON zero. We, we have reached the I apocalypse. I mean, it's just – but no, I mean, I, 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 would, I would think that league would have a lot of value. Uh, oh, I, I agree with you. I just – I don't think it's getting to that point. 
I, I, I could be wrong. Um, and you're not the first one to suggest that. Like I said, I, I was on a show this morning and the first question was, what do you, what do you think the chances are? The ACC just goes belly up. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, what? Huh? I, I, I don't think that's happening. Well, I, 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 I know where you were on that show, what state and a lot of people in that state would, wouldn't be sad to see that happen. Well, yeah, of course. Especially I mean, in that market, there's a lot of history there. You know? Right, right, right. I think I, I get it. Like, but, but, but no, I, I don't think. Look, I think the most ra- – and I don't think the SEC is looking to expand at all. If the Big Ten stays pat, and that's a big if, but if they do, I would be shocked if the SEC added a team. Remember, remember this. Every time you add a team to your league, that means you have to add at least that much revenue that every school is already getting for it to be financially uh, practical – no one's going to add teams and take less per share in the conference. The, these schools are not in the business of taking less money just because you add a couple of teams to what? Make your, your league more difficult uh, for the coaches. I, that's that's not what they're they're thinking. Um, and so you when you add teams, the new TV deal has to be significantly more money to have it be more money for each team. So just adding teams does not make you better. That's uh, what that's what the the, the 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 dissolve and rebuild when you when you when you eliminate some of the pie there and you drop back to 10 teams that may make sense at least for a little while. It might but man that and and now we're way above my uh pay grade to to figure out if, if if some of that's even legal, like you said, well, if, if there is no ACC, then there is no grant of rights. But if there's no ACC, and then you just take seven teams or ten teams and start your own league, I, something tells me there'd be some legal issues with that too. Um, but I don't know. I mean, and that is that is so can, apocalyptic can, that I can't can, even wrap my arms around it. They can kick like six teams out. Just Wake Forest, out, you know? bring your playbook. They, they need to do like uh, like President Trump did for NATO. They're like you have to you have to spend X percent of your athletic budget on football because that, that's the problem. Is like yes, all these schools generate more. I mean, Florida State and Clemson spend more money on football than, than the other schools. You they know, do, they, uh, but they also have the advantage of more people are interested in football at those schools. I, agreed, agreed, right? So I don't, like, I don't know how you, well, but NATO, you know, they asked Luxembourg to, to pay their three percent, right? So, I, mean, I don't know, you know, right? right um, but like, we're not filling stadiums in NATO. We're <laughs> the population's going to stay the same no matter how much. Like, if you go down to. Uh, Oh shoot! What's the name of Duke's football stadium? Wallace Wade. Wallace Wade. I should know that. I just did a game there. Hey, hey, um, that's, that's the Labor Day night game this year, is in Wallace Wade. There you go. They had a Rose Bowl in that stadium one yeah, time. Yeah, it's a way. quaint. It's a quaint place. They've they've spruced it up. If Duke football spent thirty million dollars more next year on recruiting and NIL, I'm here to tell you they're not getting. 70,000 fit. You can't fit 70 in there, but let's just say you could. You add bleachers. 
you're not getting 70,000 Duke fans and you're not getting 70,000 Wake Forest fans on a typical Saturday or Boston College or Georgia Tech for that matter. Um, that's the difference. I mean, that's always what the SEC and Big Ten have. It's 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 not just that the stadiums are nice and the the money is great. It's that their fans care to the point of they're packing stadiums, they're tailgating, they're they're listening to podcasts like this one. Like they they're just they're all in. It's just a different deal, and that's why football. Like I know. A lot of people love college basketball just as much as college football, but the numbers aren't there. The the numbers in basketball can't compete with college football. So while college basketball is a moneymaker, yes, it can never be to the level of football, and that's what the Big East found out the hard way. You know, if you watch the uh, 30 for 30, a requiem for the Big East, I, I encourage, like if I was teaching a class on all this, I would make everybody watch that because it was brilliant to see how it's it's a it's a life lesson for where we are today in terms of college athletics it's a basketball league there's a bunch of small catholic schools predominantly that realized oh my goodness there's more money in football and so they add a bunch of football schools well then all of a sudden all those football schools realize we can make even more money by jumping ship and going for to another league so then then you have a bunch of basketball schools that now are on their own and luckily 10 15 years later they found their safe place with a Big East 10, 11, whatever it is, teams, basketball conference, and a really good one at that with the defending national champions. That's kind of like some of the same lessons are being taught today. And that look, those coaches or those schools that we're talking about, they want to win just as much. They try just as hard. And it's not just money that's keeping them from competing with the so-called big boys. It's just it's just the reality of you go back to recruiting JC like if 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 all things are equal financially if if I'm a 17-year-old kid do I want to play in front of 35,000 fans or 90,000 fans right do I you know do I want to be they're all on TV now but as we all know not all TV exposure is the same exposure so that's always going to be the uphill battle but look the SEC's not kicking Vanderbilt out anytime soon uh, the ACC doesn't need to kick those schools to the curb. The ACC, if it if if those schools are kind of playing a power play here and, and threatening to, like, we're going to start our own thing or we're going to migrate somewhere else if you don't give us more money, there might have to be a negotiation, quite honestly. There might have to be a situation where, yeah, it's not equal pieces of the pie for everybody. It might have to go back to the Texas-Oklahoma deal in the Big 12 circa 2011 2012 now one thing i was told today though about that scenario mike is it still might not be enough i mean the delta when you're talking about that deal because this deal lasts i mean we're we're 13 11 years years before this deal comes due right or is it 2030 2036 oh it's 36 13 years away so man um they said, well, this could get your Florida States, Clemson's, whoever, you know, about five to 10 million more a year. You still got that gap. And yeah. it's not the yearly so much. It's, you know, people sometimes need to do math about, you know, and compound things a little bit. Uh, so, so you're, you're 20 million behind your rival, your, you know, in year one. Well, in five years, that's a hundred million extra dollars. 
Right. Your rival has. They can, they can literally come hire your coaches from you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you can't do anything about it. They can build Taj Mahal facilities. Uh, they can fly their teams around on private jets. They can add sports, you know. Um, they can uh, NIL, you know, the more money they bring in from TV, uh, the more it loosens up the money they count on. And, per, you know, you can, you can do without that corporate sponsor for the scoreboard that year hmm. uh, and, and let that business funnel money into NIL and get commercial deals for all your players and, and some things like that. Now you're not supposed to orchestrate that according, I guess the latest rules are you aren't supposed to, but uh, you know, obviously in the NIL world, the more, the richer your school is and the richer your program is, the less they depend on, you know, some of these folks that want to help out uh, that could divert those funds you know, to name, image, and likeness, you know, like a lot of businesses have already started doing. So it is, it is a competitive thing. It is scary. Um, I think with, um, uh, for those teams, I mean, it, you know, it's not Clemson's fault and Florida state's fault, and North Carolina's fault and everybody else's fault that, uh, the league did what it did. Now, you know, maybe that, maybe they should have bolted for the big 12 back when people were talking that they would, or maybe they should have, uh, Virginia should have joined the Big Ten, you know, with Maryland. Um, but, you know, sometimes that's uh, not the best move at the time. And, you know, I, I think chasing the Notre Dame ghost has killed them too. I think they were – I think there are a lot of people on the ACC that were convinced Notre Dame will eventually join our They league. still are. I mean, it's You like, can't uh, convince these people that it's not going to happen. They, they They do not want to hear that it's not happening. And, I, and I'm going to tell you – that's not even their first choice of conference. This I don't is believe the girl that this girl. Str- I I not only think it's not their first. I don't think it's their second either. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Greg yeah, Sankey's yeah. very clever sometimes. Sure, what he course. says, and him making this thing like, oh, we're only interested in schools that are state adjacent to our footprint, right. and nobody thinks about the fact that Indiana, Indiana has a long border Kentucky. with Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, uh, but I. You know, Notre Dame wants to go cash in and get rich. It has it has better options. And like I said, you know, and, and look, in Chicago, I'm around a lot of Notre Dame fans. They don't like the ACC deal. They think it's a bad deal for them. They they don't like playing the teams in that league, home and home. Sure, they have history at Boston College. And the Clemson games are fun. And, yeah, it's fun to go to Blacksburg, you know, every now and then. But, you know, you got Virginia. And, and they have an old history with Florida State Miami, obviously. But just like the, this league continues to like hedge its bets in the wrong way. It's just like when they put the daggum championship game in Jacksonville and Tampa back to back to back because they put Florida State and Miami in separate divisions. And they're like, we're going to sell these out. It's going to be awesome. And powerhouse football league, right? ACC, go yay. Well, then they ended up with like Georgia Tech and Wake Forest. And then back to, I'll never forget, back to back once in Tampa, once in Jacksonville in front of 10,000 screaming Hokies. Boston College versus Virginia Tech. <laughs> Florida State, Miami's only won the league once. And so they had to move it to Charlotte, right? You know, we got to move it to Charlotte now. And I mean, it's just every everything they've tried to do to make themselves relevant in football has backfired on them right down to, to programs getting flat out worse when they joined the league. I mean, Miami has gotten significantly worse. And uh, a report from their media today on 24-7 Sports says Miami just wants out of the ACC, period. And I can't say I blame them. 
I, I just can't say I blame them. I mean, it's been a disaster. Uh, and it's it's probably watered down their basketball product a little bit, which was, you know, I mean, you can't argue that they're a better league top to bottom than the Big 12 now. Uh, and it's been that way for a couple of years. So, I, you know, Mike, I, they're in trouble. Uh, I, I know that's ra- like I'm throwing out some radical concepts here, but, uh, I, I, you know, nothing would surprise me just because I know you know, time is of the essence. And and I just, I know there's just that deal is just like nobody, nobody in their right mind would, would not attempt, uh, you know, not make at least an attempt to, to get out of it, um, you know, and then see what you could negotiate from there. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't argue with you on, it's not going away, right? Like it's not this whole thing. And you know these ADs, while they're competing against one another, are talking with one another. And the Florida State AD is talking to the Clemson AD, who's talking to the Miami AD, and they're saying, "Hey, we're we're not Syracuse, okay? We 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 we're not Syracuse. We're better, and we're a bigger product, and more people care about us. So we don't want to be making the same amount of money as Syracuse." The the article by Ross Dellinger today was talking, or maybe it was yesterday talking that FSU brings in 15% of the ACC media rights value but receives just 7%. So they're they in their eyes they're getting less than half of what they should. You can't make that up. Like that's that is an uh unattainable situation if if you really want to get your what you consider to be your true market value. So yeah, it it's an issue. I just I just don't I don't foresee and look, I if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't foresee the ACC just detonating and <clears throat> like we're going to wake up a year from now and there's no Atlantic Coast Conference and seven schools added three and started their own league and then Wake, Duke, Boston College, Syracuse are all just left out there in the wind as the new conference. I, I, I'm not there. I, I just think there's other ways to – I don't want to say resolve it, but at least make it better. But I could be wrong. We'll I don't know, Mike. I, I, you know, I think it's a chance to. And here, the, the other thing I, I've hated these guys with the ACC have tried to pretend like they're the Big Ten without like understanding exactly the Pac-12 fell into this too. The Big Ten. As much as I love the schools and the fans and, and I appreciate the tradition and all that, it is a hypocritical conference. These folks that run these Big Ten schools and the Big Ten itself, they fancy themselves as like a big Ivy League that just so happens to compete in big time sports. But what they really are is cutthroat. They're all <laughs> and, cutthroat. And greedy. I know yes, they all are. Course. But They're the all... Big Ten, I mean, think about some of the rhetoric the out of the Big Ten through the years, man. I mean, come Well, that on. was, yeah, that was, yeah, so that, who the, was it? The, yeah, that was Delaney, uh, right? Yeah, and the over, they oversigned. And you still hear them take shots, you know, well, I don't know, you know. And, and, and so the ACC, I think, kind of bought into that. And so they made decisions like, well, we don't want Virginia Tech. We want Syracuse. And uh, for the state of Virginia had to get force Virginia Tech into the league, which, you know, by God, Virginia Tech's arguably been better than Miami for their football footprint. Uh, so then they finally got around to getting Syracuse and Pitt in 
Oh, but guess who got left at the altar? West Virginia. West Virginia is only a top 25 most winning program in the history of college football. Okay. That could have helped their football program profile a lot better than Syracuse or oh, who was next to the dance? UConn. I mean, it, they, 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 when you have a, when you have a, something that's holding you down, like, like a Duke and a Wake Forest, why would you go add other schools that fit those profiles? I mean, I, I, I never understood that. And it's academic snobbery that, you know, probably West Virginia is not as good of a school as some of but then they turn around when they lose Maryland and add Louisville. And I, I don't, I don't know much about Louisville's academic reputation. I'll, you can ask uh, your, your wife Summer about that probably. And she can tell you, but uh, I, I think it's probably a lot like USC upstate where I went. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch I don't, that, I, but I don't know anything about it really. I, I think I think Louisville's a great <laughs> athletic program. My point is they 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 you know they made all these decisions based on academics, and then oh crap, well our product sucks now, so let's just go add Louisville. And then uh, who were they? They had, they interviewed Phillips like last summer when we were going talking about this again. Oh, we almost considered uh, bringing West Virginia into the league. West Virginia should have been in the league, man. I mean, you know, it's not it is a it is because of the ACC that these poor West Virginia fans who are 10 times as passionate as over half the teams in that league. 10 times as passionate. 10 times the the, the West Virginia is 10 times college football what half the teams in that league are, right? Mike, 10 times. Okay? 10 times. It is a travesty that they have to play in the Big 12. A travesty. Where would you like them? In the ACC, where they belong. I mean, Pitt's already they in. Want? They have I rivals, mean, rivalries with Pittsburgh. I mean, geographically speaking, that makes sense. Yes, yeah. geographically. Now, money-wise, I, mean, I think I don't I know if they want I it. I my chances <laughs> in the Big 12 right now. I was going to say, but, I don't think they're you know, knocking on that door right well, now. Well, you know, not, but, uh, but anyway. By the way, Louisville wanted to be in the Big 12. I know. Uh, they, they were kind of they, the, I remember having a conversation with their AD right after they – got shunned and right around that time is when their football was enjoying great success their basketball was winning a national champion a championship their baseball was going to omaha and the ad at the time jurich i was happened to be there to do a super regional and he's like yeah uh you think we're good enough for you now um now look it wound up being okay the big 12 added tcu and West Virginia and TCU just played for a national championship, but yeah, Louisville easily could have been in the Big Twelve. They that's where mm-hmm. they they wanted to go. Uh, Did they bounce nice. back with Cincinnati? So yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, anyway, it's gonna be it's gonna be nuts. All right, do we have time for five and dime, or should we? Let's wait roll it. Right? Let's roll it. Yeah. All right, back by popular. You'd be surprised, JC. And by the way, we do have the website. We don't promote this enough. We're gonna start promoting this more and more. JCandMorgan.com. Uh, we have an email. Is that right? I, I didn't even know this. Yes, it's jcmorgan at gmail.com. Okay. So if you got any questions, comments, uh, no, I get just... I get most of mine via Twitter. Uh, people love the five and dime segment, which is good to know because it's a little bit off the beaten path. And I'm also still taking crap that I haven't seen Uncle Buck in its entirety. So I need to work on that. So what is five and dime, the fiver dimer? Uh, triple play. These are movies that, uh, many of us that like to watch a good movie multiple times, watch multiple times. So I just take random movies that 
whether I like him or not, or whether JC likes him or not, or whoever, uh, you we go around the room, which in this case is just you and I. Did we see it five times or more, ten times or more? That'd be a dimer, or none of the above. Okay, so here's the three. Starting off, going 80s, baby. Vision Quest. This was on the other day on an app called Tubi, which you can watch movies for free. It's got commercials. You can watch them for free because I don't have HBO and Showtime anymore, so I'm desperate sometimes just watch a good old-fashioned movie. Vision Quest, this is not an Oscar film, I'm going to tell you right now. There are some cheesy parts to it, and it's the only wrestling movie, not wrestling, wrestling movie that I know of really at all. Uh, Matthew Modine, Linda Fiorentino, and the guy who played the hot guy in 16 Candles that every teenage girl had a crush on. Those are your three stars, and it's it's your typical 80s movie. Oh, Madonna is in the movie before she was Madonna. She sings the uh, Crazy For You song, which the whole movie feels like a music video. Anyway, this was on the other day, and I liked it. So uh, I have not, I hadn't seen it in 30 years. So it's not a fiver or a dimer, not because I don't like it enough, because it's never on. I've probably seen it three times. And I like the movie. So it's none of the above, but Vision Quest, shout out to you. Shout out to uh, Loudon Swain, I believe is the character's name. It's uh, Don't mess with Shoot, man, in the 168 division, because he will kick your ass, JC. It's it's neither a fiber nor diver with me. I think I've seen it once. Uh, it's it's one of those movies. It's kind of like the, the, the band Crazy Town, uh, which, by the way, they are crazy people. I think I think they got in a fight with each other the other day and threatened to kill each other. But they have that they do that song "Come My Lady, Come Come My Lady." Oh yeah, 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 fly. and the That's band's good. called Crazy Town. I'm like, don't you can't name your band that. That's just the dumbest uh, dumbest name ever. Consider the music you play. Well, Vision Quest to me is a dumb name for this movie. Um, because it's about it should it should have a little bit better title to it. Yeah. However, um, I've seen it twice once, but uh, Nat, my fiance, who loves wrestling, like actual, she likes professional wrestling, but also likes regular wrestling because when she was in um, high school, uh, you know, she she came over here when she was four from Thailand, and like she played tennis, and her one of her little jobs was in high school to keep score for the wrestling team. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, so she would go to all the matches and stuff. And uh, so she's seen it like probably 15 times. Uh, I have to get her uh, in-depth breakdown now that you've mentioned it. But uh, I just, I've just always thought the title was a little bit like, ah, Vision Quest. Title's know? a little off. Yeah. Uh, so that's not like, a fun. That's a like where I go to get my eyes checked. I'm going to go down to the Vision Quest to get Yeah, well, in. they they mention it within the movie. Like they actually yeah. – the guy, this, this part is, sounds so terrible. No one will ever watch this movie after I describe this. They're, the the guy who played, again, the hot guy in 16 Candles, uh, he pretends that he's half Native American for some reason and has like a mohawk, and he's he's telling Loudon, you know, you're going from 190 to 168, which is a lot of weight to cut. I mean, we've all been on diets. It's 22 pounds he has to cut in like a couple of months in order to go into the toughest weight division in wrestling. Because in wrestling, it's not the biggest guy who's the baddest guy. 
very often it's right around that 168. These guys are just lean machines. And Loudon, who in real life, Modine's like 6'3", a 168 at 6'3", that's like Shane Matthews. That's that's what you call a callback. That was Shane coming out of coming out of college, going into the NFL combine, 6'3", 168. Uh, so his nose is bleeding while he's losing all this weight. Uh, he gets hit on by a man of the hotel room uh, when he's delivering for room service that had no really part in the movie. You're not even sure why that was there. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, the Vision Quest title is, is that – it was some Native American expression, like mm-hmm. you're, doing, you're doing this, man, because you got a vision quest. You got a you got a quest. You got a vision. It still makes no sense, but that's the yeah. title of the movie. Last one so, of the movie. Coach had it right. It was a vision quest. Coach had it right. Ever, it a, but all I've ever yeah. settled for is that we were born to live and to die. We there is a great speech. Well. There's always that like omniscient, all-knowing, random character in these kinds of oh, movies. Yeah. It's the guy he works with as a as a you know, food delivery guy for the hotel, yes. room service guy. And it's the guy that works in the kitchen. And this guy looks like he's lived a rough life. He's probably about 60. He's wearing the same stained shirt to work every day. You now he's chain smoker. Every day he goes in that hot kitchen. And he's, you know, he's he's getting that tuna melt ready for room 445. And he's just like, he's got no love interest He's, you know, nobody no prospects, no prospects. He, he's not, uh, he doesn't look good. doesn't feel good, but he's befriended Loudon, this 18 year old with a vision quest. And this guy probably hasn't taken a day off of work in 17 years. He needs the money every day so he can go home and he can buy that 12 pack of Keystone light. And when Loudon says, what are you doing? He sees him like putting on a suit. Like, what are you doing? Cause man, I'm going to see you wrestle. He's like, it's only like six minutes. You can't, you're going to, they're going to dock you pay. If you take off the shift, he goes, no, 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 this is important. And then he tells a story of, he makes an analogy of Pele and how he watched Pele play a soccer match and how Pele scored a goal and everybody started going bananas in the crowd. And he starts kind of tearing up and he's like, it's not about the six minutes. It's about what you do in the six minutes. And it's like, Whoa, where did that come from? The guy who's been cooking tuna melts for two hours just gave me the line of the film. So it's cheesy and it's what it's hokey and it's an but it works. I can't tell you. I just it works. I made me want to go up a pegboard and uh, and and drop weight so I can wrestle in one sixty eight. But I'm not going to do either one of those things. Okay, (laughs) so that's more than you ever wanted to know about Vision Quest, folks. Wedding Crashers. Fiverr, Dimer, Dimer plus. Yeah, agreed. I I mean, there's so few good comedies out there anymore. Wedding Crashers came out in about what, 2006, seven. It's Vaughn at its peak. It's Wilson at its peak. It's a great supporting cast. It's not just like write a bunch of jokes and then make a plot somehow shoehorn it in there. It all comes together. And yeah, it's a dimer plus. Totally God. there with you. Yeah, your painting was a gift, Todd. I'm taking it with me. I'm, I'm taking it with me, Todd. <laughs> Take it. Uh, the, then the Will Ferrell cameo is classic. Oh, the meatloaf. The meatloaf. Knob crashing. What, what's she doing up there? What's she doing? What's she doing up there? Uh, that's, yeah. funerals. 
That's the that's the kicker is Will Ferrell at his best at oh, the end. What well, what is the last funny movie you saw? What's the last the, time you saw a funny movie? The last time I, a, a movie that I thought was funny, like real funny, recently, within the last ten years. It, I mean, it, I it, it I can't think like of one. Stand, it had to be like a stand something new. It had to be a stand up special where I actually laughed. Yeah, but that's not. Really I appreciated good. coming to America too. I, I just appreciated it. I mean, because it, it, it was that a couldn't lot of, have been that good. Speaking of callbacks, it was one big. It was a big callback. Yeah. But, uh, man, That's my point, the, though. They well, don't yeah. make again. It's movies about people Nothing's in capes and, and 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 uh, and shields and you know shooting people. And you, uh, that's sad because I do. I find myself quoting like Step Brothers a lot. That's like fifteen lately. years ago. Yeah, all right, that's so all we have. That's all we have. This 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 newest generation, they don't have good comedies to go watch. And How the sad anchor is that? Bands are done. I mean, man, that's like twenty years old. Jesus, that's my point. It's twenty years old. Well, you can't go to the movies and watch a good comedy. Judd Apatow has had the best run. He is the yeah. modern day John Hughes. Just about everything he's done, from Forty Year Old Virgin to Knocked Up. Yeah, those were this all is good. forty to like all the Paul Rudd and Siegel and Jonah Hill, like those all they all crush. Yeah, but, but even his movies have kind of. When's the last time he had a good one that made you laugh? That sucks. Yeah, sad. yeah. It's depressing. To even That's talk a sad about reality this. you just hit me with. I know, I know. Think about that. Share that with your podcast audience, uh, your other podcast tomorrow. Uh, All right. And finally, as part of the five and dime triple play. Cobra. JC, you're the disease and I'm the cure. The cure. It is about a fiver for me, but honestly, have not seen it since maybe the early 90s. My dad owned a video store, right? Did he really? In in the mid 80s. Yeah, family video. And so we watched it came out like mid 80s. We we watched that movie a lot, that and over the top, which is which is a way above a dime. Save, for me. save oh. that save that for another installment. Yeah, but uh, okay. So you're going Fiverr. I'm going Fiverr on Cobra. I am with you there, and the only reason I haven't gone more is it's you it's it's never on. Uh, it's it's such a bad movie that it's it's not on cable of any kind. You, you don't just turn on like TBS or IFC or Paramount or whatever or netflix and all of a sudden oh cobra like you can't find it unless you search it and the reason you can't find it unless you search it is because in spite of having one of the greatest movie stars of our time whether or not you think he's a great actor and that doesn't matter sylvester stallone take a look at the receipts it, it, it it's so awful it's so over the top awful and yet i can't look away so it's a fiver for me but if it's if you tell me, hey Mike, um, you got you got Lakers, um, Nuggets tonight, and you got Cobra. What I'm doing is I'm going back and forth. Every commercial break, I'm going to Cobra, and then I'm letting it play out because it's a very thick plot. I don't want to miss anything that could be instrumental to the to the climactic ending. I'm I'm going back and forth, Cobra, uh, and the game. Uh, and throw throw in some Braves in there. So now I'm got so now I've got. Mm-hmm. I've got really got the buttons working, but I'm getting some Cobra in there. I'm getting some Cabretti one way or another. Uh, in yeah. there. So it's a fiver for me as well. Fiver for me as well. All right. I'm Hopefully that helped everybody 
become a little bit closer to uh, the cinematic arts. I still haven't seen Uncle Buck, but maybe I've allowed you folks out there to go rent Vision Quest for two ninety nine on uh, JC's dad's old video store. Okay, I'm definitely definitely going uh, to watch Vision Vision Quest. <laughs> Gonna, watch uh, it with Nat. Watch it with Nat. Nat will love this. Yeah, I have a, yeah. I have a good feeling. Have and again, feeling. do not mess with shoot. The guy was carrying a log of bleachers in a football stadium, which that's a really big football stadium for Spokane, Washington. Does Gonzaga even have a football team? That's no, my no. next question. Where, where the hell do they get that stadium from? I don't know. That was, I mean, that's Worthy Spokane's of a Google search. An interesting, uh, interesting stay, uh, place to, have, to set a movie like that. But, yeah, it's uh, in Spokane, which I liked. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's actually it's a nice different uh, twist to have that locale. All right, we are way over time. Our thanks again to Shane Matthews. Our thanks again to all of you. Uh, I know you've really enjoyed the guest parade, and that will continue next week as well. Check out the website, JC and Morgan uh, at Morgan on Air at JC Sherbert on Twitter, and uh, all the other good stuff. JC, it's been fun. We'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, Mike. It was a blast and it's going to be awesome next week. Goodbye, everybody.